The last couple of weeks we've been, we've been looking at what we're calling a prophetic voice at Christmas. And we're, we're doing a little series where we're looking at how God spoke prophetically to the, to the people that were listening in the first century. And how he still speaks to us through this message that most of us, there's probably someone here this morning that if, if I asked them, they could stand up and quote the passage I'm going to read because they had to learn it for a Christmas play at some point in their life. And we're familiar with this story. The Christmas story is, is, is probably the most familiar story in existence today. But what happens with familiarity is it takes on layers that are not in the Bible. And plus, we lose God's voice in it. We, we lose what he was trying to say. We miss it because the, the lights as I'll call them, of the story kind of flash around us. I mean, when, when, if, if you ask anybody to tell you the Christmas story, they're going to tell, tell you about that sorry innkeeper that wouldn't let Mary and Joseph have room in the inn. They're going to tell you about the angels that appeared to the shepherds and how the shepherds uh, hunted and found Jesus and how the wise men all came and, and how it was a, a, a glorious event. It was a glorious event. But some of that stuff didn't exactly happen on that night, and some of it didn't even happen at all, okay? But it's, it's, it's become a part of the story. And so what I want to do today is I just want to see how God is still speaking through the story and how God, how God chooses to speak. God often speaks prophetically to those who least expect to hear it. What do you think about that? Are you here this morning and you, are you expecting God to speak to you? None of you would have said no. Well, listen, you're a candidate this morning for God to speak to you. Because he usually speaks to those who least expect it. He, he often speaks life-changing messages to those, to those that the world considers uh, unimportant or unqualified. Maybe you're here this morning and, and, and you, you don't feel like you're important, that you don't really matter. You know what, what the movers and the shakers label as, as marginal or insignificant or unimportant or irrelevant. God often considers precious in his sight, vital to his plan, and he greatly loves that person with his heart. You know what? God, as, as the Apostle Paul says, has chosen to confound the wise with foolishness. He uses what the movers and the shakers think are foolish. To make life changes. There's some of you this morning in this room. I guarantee you. If you were honest. You have a very low opinion of yourself. And you have a low opinion of what you do. You don't think you're important. You don't see that what you do. Or, 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 or who you are. You don't see it as valuable. But you know what? God does. In fact, you're convinced that if you suddenly disappeared from this earth. Nobody would even notice it. Can I just tell you something? You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. We would notice it. God would notice it more than us, though. God has put you here because he has something for you to do. And you're the only person who can do it like you can do it. Okay? I want to say that again. God has, has put each of us here to do some things. And we're the only person who can do it like he wants us to do it, like we can do it. 
Okay, there are other people that can, can complete the task, but not like you. Not because you're, you're, you're fixed and you're created to do it in a certain way. You have a key part in God's plan. And I believe that God wants to speak to you this morning. I, I've come expecting him to speak, okay? I believe he's going to speak to some individuals. He spoke to some folks last Sunday, and he's going to speak to some folks this Sunday. And he's going to speak to you, I believe, from a portion of Scripture we're going to read in a few minutes that is probably the most popular part of the Christmas story. How many of you in your younger years, or if you're, if you're uh, a young person here this morning, how many of you have ever been a shepherd? In other words, in a Christmas play, you've been a shepherd. Can I just say something? I have never been Joseph. I have never... <laughs> Been a, a wise man. I have always been a shepherd, except two times. One time when I was uh, a, a part of the staff at GFBC at Gardendale First Baptist, I was an angel. And I had these gigantic wings. <laughs> I mean, they were so cool. I got to tell you, man, I, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, it's really good. And I, I put them on. I got dressed. My part was coming up. And so I walked through the door, and guess what happened? I forgot to duck. <laughs> So the first night, they had wired it back up. Well, then last night, I got to be an angel. That's because Robert was late getting here, or I wouldn't have got to be an angel. And I had these wings that were so cool that, that Donna Postel had made that, that man, when Jimmy got the, got the float moving just right, I could turn like this, and those things just float out behind me. But I've always been a shepherd. I, I, that's all, the only part I ever got to, to do. I can remember my first memory of a Christmas play. I wasn't even in school, and, and it was in, a, in a, a little Methodist church like this one. It, it was Bethel Methodist Church, and I can remember I had this diaper. I guess it was a diaper. It may have been a towel. I don't know, but it with a rag tied around it, a little bathrobe on, and my dad gave me, he, he made me, I can remember this, he made me a, a shepherd's staff. He boiled it in water, and he pulled it down, and he tied it off until it dried. And so, I mean, it was so cool. And so I've always been a shepherd. But, but this morning, we're going to look at the shepherds. I say all that because they, the shepherds are so popular that we just totally misunderstand why they're even there. We, we, don't, we don't get this part of the story. We're, we're, we're so far removed from it. So we're going to look at that passage. So I want to set the context this morning. If I'm going to get you to turn to Luke chapter 2. And I'm not going to read the first part. I'm just going to share that with you. But, but, but Caesar Augustus, has, he's given a decree that he's, he's going to count the people. They're going to do a census for taxation pro, uh, purposes. You see, they, they struggled with taxes just like we do. The only problem is when the, to your family home, you had to go back from wherever you were in the world. You had to go back to your family hometown. The, the hometown of your family name. And so Joseph, being in, in Galilee up in Nazareth, had to travel back to Bethlehem because Joseph was a, was a part of King David's family. He was a descendant of King David. Now, he wasn't a king, okay? He was a carpenter. But he was a, he was a part of that family. And the childhood home, the hometown of King David, was Bethlehem, the house of bread. And so they had to travel back to register. They had to go to the, to the to like we have to go to the, to the license office. How many of you have ever got a tag in Birmingham? 
Okay, enough said. Same kind of stuff, okay? Same kind of stuff. Same kind of, kind of atmosphere. But they had to go back. And, and, and there were people, they were moving all over the country because they were forced to go back to their hometowns, even though they might live hundreds of miles away. And so Joseph prepares to go, and, and Mary is pregnant. And I mean, she's, she's nine months. She's, she's there. She's counting the days, okay? Now, we know she didn't walk, okay? I, I don't think that would have been possible. But they had to travel almost 100 miles. And it probably took them 8 to 10 days to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And they arrive in the, in the, in the city. And there are people, cousins, I mean hundreds of cousins, okay? They're everybody that's kin to King David is there. And so there's no place to stay. And, and, I, and I'm going to point this out now because I'll probably forget this. But... Translations that we have say, say this, that there was no room for them in the inn. Well, the word is cataluma, which means there was no guest room. A lot of the houses had guest rooms. Okay? Here's the reason there was no guest room. Whenever a lady had a baby, there's always blood involved. Okay? And I'm, I'll go no further, but there's blood involved. Whenever a, a woman has an issue of blood, she is considered unclean. So whenever a lady gave birth, she was un- considered unclean in the Jewish religious system for so many days, about 40 days. But the home or the room, the place where she gave birth was considered unclean. And because there were so many cousins and so many family members in the city... There was no place that they could set aside and say, hey, you can have your baby here. Okay? So, I'm not sure there was an innkeeper. And I'm not sure he sent them out to his stable. Okay? We'll get to that in a minute. But that's the situation. So, they had to find a place to have that baby. Now, I want you to understand it. God had already prophetically prepared the exact place. Okay? Do y'all think for a moment, for a moment, that God didn't have everything prepared out step by step? And not only that, he had revealed it in the Old Testament. Prophetically. We'll learn some things today, okay? We really are. But God had already spoken prophetically. And so they find a place. I'm not going to tell you where, but we'll get to that in a minute, okay? And Mary gives birth. And Joseph, I guess, is the midwife, because it's, it's just them. And the baby, Jesus, comes into the world, and his mother wraps him in what Scripture calls swaddling clothes or cloths. She lies him, lays him in a manger, and, and, uh, and, 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 and he's born in Bethlehem, in the city of David, which is the king's city. And there's a new king, Okay. The king of glory has arrived. That's the setting for what I'm about to read, okay? I want you to, to, if you've got your Bible, follow along with me. I'm going to start in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2. You can also look on the screens. I think they'll be there. And it says, in the same region, in the region of Bethlehem, okay? In the same region, there were some shepherds. 
staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. I'm having problems reading this because I memorized this for a Christmas play in the King James, okay, and I'm trying to read the New American Standard, so excuse me. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you great news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, a Deliverer. That's, that's what that means. A Messiah, our, our Savior, who is Christ, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And when the angels had gone away, they'd gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that the Lord has made known, which has happened, and the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had seen, all that they had heard, just as it had been told them to a group. of God spoke one of the greatest prophetic messages ever given to a group of shepherds who were watching their flocks over the hillsides of Bethlehem. If you go to Bethlehem, it's located on hillsides, okay? It's not a flat place. It's, it's, it's a hilly place. And it's, those hills are known as the shepherd's hills. In fact, if you go, uh, you, you'll go to some specific place which are known as the shepherd's, uh, he, uh, the shepherd's pastures, the, the shepherd's hills. You'll see paths all along. That's where they, that's where they pastured the sheep. And the shepherds that, the sheep that were raised there were very special sheep. Okay, we don't, we don't understand this. We don't hear this very often. We just think sheep are sheep, right? It's okay to say, man. I mean, sheep's sheep. But the sheep that were raised in Bethlehem were special sheep, okay? They were the sheep. They were the lambs that were raised for the sacrifices at the temple. They weren't just any sheep. They had one purpose. They were to be born, they were to be unblemished, and they were to be sacrificed. And so these were very special sheep that were, that were, that were grown here, that were, that were bred here, and, and birthed here, and raised here. Now, the shepherds that took care of them uh, were like all the other shepherds. They were highly trained shepherds in specific things, but, but they raised sheep that were very special. There were two a day that were sacrificed Every day in the temple, two of those, 730 a year, as well as literally thousands of others that were, that were used as sacrifice during the Passover and through the other 
holy days or holidays. That's what they would have. That's where the word holiday came from was holy days. The the Jewish system had several feast days and and several sacrifice days, and so these lambs were raised there because let's just be honest. You bring a lamb a hundred miles, eight or ten days, it's going to get some nicks. It's going to get some bruises. It's going to get some hair knocked out along the way. So it was virtually impossible. Well, I would just say it is impossible to bring sheep or to bring lambs that would have been expected and okayed by the temple priest. They wouldn't have allowed you to have brought them from somewhere else. So you would have had to have purchased the sheep, the lambs, there in Jerusalem. All of those lambs were born in Bethlehem. Okay? Now, what's Jesus going to become? The Lamb of God. Do you see how perfect this is? I mean, I mean it's, it's just kind of laid out there. Yet, these shepherds, as important as their job was, they were considered ritually unclean. Okay? And they were basically almost perpetually unclean. How many of you have ever worked around livestock? Okay? If you work around livestock, you get livestock stuff on you, okay? There's other words floating in my head. I choose not to use any of those. You either step in it. When you're working with one, it it rubs up against you. It's just, that's just a part of of raising uh, uh, herd animals or or cattle or, or whatever. And so, you know, when that happened, that shepherd became unclean immediately. Well, that was an everyday thing. That was a every few minute kind of thing with sheep. I don't know if you've ever uh, seen sheep herded, but I've been to Israel a couple of times and we've had to stop our bus when the sheep cross. They cross, they're rubbing against each other and they're rubbing against that shepherd. So he's got stuff all over him all the time. Okay? Not only that, when you have a large amount of livestock, some of them die. Okay? I mean, that's just a part of it. You've got to deal with it. If you touch a dead animal or a dead person, you become unclean. All right? That's, that's just the way the, the system was. And so here are these shepherds, and they're unclean. They can't go to the temple to worship. They can't go to the synagogue. They are basically on their own, okay? Except for the folks they work with. They're not a part, in a sense, of the nation. They're separated from the nation. Although they do the most important job, so the, the nation and its religious system can function. Without their lambs, there are no sacrifices that please God. Are consumed. Okay? And so these, these shepherds are considered unclean. And most Jewish people, most pious Jews, avoided these shepherds at all costs. Because if you touched one of them, they're unclean. I mean, if, if I'm a shepherd and, and I bump into Jim, guess what? Jim's unclean now. He's got to go get a lamb. He's got to go through a ritual process. I mean, he's got to take a bath. He's got to go see the, the, uh, the, the, the priest. And he's got to deal with all that so he can go back to Sunday school class. Okay? Y- y- y'all understand what I'm talking about? So here are these guys. And they smell like sheep. And they're soiled all the time. 
All right, that's, that's a nice word I've, I, I chose to use, okay? But to most people, they were considered invisible. They were considered insignificant. They were considered unimportant. They were considered, if they were considered at all, as a liability. All right? You don't hang out with the shepherds. You don't, you don't get in the same vicinity as the shepherds. But to God, they were central. They were important. They were key. So God's prophetic word is given them by an angel. The angel doesn't show up in King Herod's palace to announce it. He doesn't go to a cocktail party at the high priest's house to announce it. But rather, he appears on a rugged hillside. And he speaks to a, a, a group of men who are huddled probably around a little fire trying to keep warm on that cool evening. Now listen, if you were in charge of, of, the, of, the, of the firm that had the contract to announce that the King of kings and the Lord of lords is coming, would you have gone to these guys? Just be honest. No. They're nobodies. In their culture. But they were somebody to God. And you know what? These guys just simply did their job every day. The only time that anybody noticed them was in a negative way. They got too close or they had a lamb that was marked. It was blemished. It was damaged. As long as as they provided lambs that were unblemished, the high priest didn't care. Man, they got a batch of blemished lambs. To put it in a worldly way, it was hell to pay. Okay? It was not good. And so these guys are, 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 you know, if if you'd been one of them, it would have been very easy just to think, hey, you know what? I don't really matter. And what I do really doesn't matter. But you know what? In God's economy, these guys were the key players. The key players. And so he sends them a prophetic word. And I love what scripture says. It says, the first will be, God goes last. And the last will be first. God goes to talk to the last people in the world anybody would have ever thought would get the announcement other than Mary and Joseph. He goes to these shepherds. And so on that night, out there in the dark, the, the sky explodes. I mean, it just, boom, with the Shekinah glory of God. God shows up. And, and, and the brilliance of God and the glory of God is in His presence, it just surrounds these men. And then an angel steps out of that realm into their realm. Right there on the hillside. And it scares them to death. Okay, I want, I want to give you a word. Right here, okay? If you talk to somebody who tells you an angel gave them a word from God, and there's no mention of terror or fear, it probably wasn't from God. Okay? Almost every place in Scripture, especially in this story, every time an angel shows up, there's, there's fear. They were terrified. Joseph was terrified. Mary was, was she was confused which is the next step to being terrified. She's so surprised, she doesn't know what to do. Okay, So when an angel appears, 
they are, are such majestic, such awe-inspiring creatures that it, it creates fear in our heart, okay? It, it, it makes us tremble. Some, for some, in the Old Testament, they just fell down. They just passed out. When, when, when one of the Babylonian kings sees the hand writing on the wall, it says his knees were knocking, okay? He was so fearful. But that angel stepped into the world, stepped into this realm, and it begins, and that angel begins to speak. It's interesting what he says first. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Do not be afraid. This is the third sermon in this series. This is the third time God has spoken that word. And there's somebody here this morning that hasn't heard it the other two times. Okay? God says, don't, whatever situation you're in, don't be afraid. Don't allow fear to replace your faith. Don't let fear keep you from hearing God's message. He has a prophetic word for you. Some of you this morning are scared to death. And it has nothing to do with angels and everything to do with your incorrect perception of God. And your incorrect perception of how God sees you. You're terrified. God says, don't be afraid. You don't think God cares, but He does. He really does. You don't think God speaks, but He does. But you can't hear Him because you're listening to the fear-laced lies of the enemy. Right now, in somebody's ears in this moment, in this building, the enemy is whispering lies. He's screaming right now. Don't listen, don't listen, don't listen, don't listen, don't listen to this, don't listen to this. You're going to have to go, flip that switch off in Jesus' name. To be able to hear what God wants to say to you this morning. God's got a word for you this morning. He's got a command for you this morning too. Don't be afraid. Fear and faith cannot reside in the same heart, okay? When one comes, the other one leaves. That's just the way it works. Insecurity. That, that, that feeling that, you know what, I don't measure up. I don't matter. Nobody cares about me. I'm all by myself. Insecurity breeds fear. But you know what? Faith will expand dramatically as we embrace the security of God's presence. And we understand His promise that He has for us. Listen to me. God loves you. I don't care this morning if you don't even know God. He still loves you. You're here for a reason. It may just be to hear, you know what? God loves you. That's why I put that on the sign. There are people right up down this road that just need to know God loves them. They don't need to hear how big of a sinner they are. They know that, okay? You don't have to beat people to their knees with the Bible and convince them they're sinners. Most people know that. But they don't know that God loves them. They don't know that there's a God who cares for them. The, all they see, all they hear is, is the bad things. That's all they, they're like us. When we do something bad, guess what? It just consumes us. It consumes them as well. God says, don't be afraid. Now listen, it's your choice whether or not you listen. God won't make you listen, 
But you know what? The shepherds made their choice and they listened. They could have thrown their hands up and their rods up and their staffs up and took off down those hillsides, okay? And that's what some people would have done. But they didn't. They just, they just stuck there for a few minutes. God has a way of speaking prophetically and directly to our insecurities, to our false beliefs, to, to those twisted understandings that we have. And I want you to listen to the message that he gives these shepherds. He says in, in Luke chapter 2, the latter part of verse 10, he says, For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. I want you to listen to what he says. I bring, I'm bringing you the gospel. That's, that's what he's saying. I'm bringing you the gospel, the good news. And you know what? It's not just for you. It's for everyone else. But I'm telling you first. You know what? God's got a word for somebody in there this morning that you need to hear because you need to share it with somebody else. You know why? And I'll say this again later. You know why we know this story? Because the shepherds didn't go mum mouth. They didn't lock this away. And, and hey, we don't need to tell anybody. They'll think we're nuts. They, they told everybody. They told everybody. Let me paraphrase what that angel says. The whole gospel is for you. The promise of the Savior, all of them. They're for you. He's speaking to men who were considered unclean and almost apart. They were almost as bad as the Samaritans and the Gentiles. Okay, they just had Jewish blood in their bodies, but they didn't get to participate in anything that was religious. They were disconnected from their nation heart to heart when they worshiped, yet they provided what everybody else needed to make the connection with God. Do you see what I'm, what I'm trying to communicate here? These were the key players in salvation until the moment of Jesus. It wasn't the priest. Okay? It was these shepherds. Because these shepherds provided the very basic ingredients that they needed to appear before God. And that angel declares that the gospel is for all the people. Listen, I believe that God is sovereign, okay? And I believe that God has a plan and a purpose and He is working it out. But I also believe that salvation is for every person. And I believe Jesus died on the cross for every person that has ever lived or will ever live, okay? I believe that. He's sharing with these, these shepherds that all includes you. And you know what? It includes all of you as well. And the good news is, is it's now personalized. This, this, this angel has come to these shepherds. It's not tomorrow. It's not a week from now. It's not a year from now. It's now. It's not, listen to me, it's not when you get your stuff together and you feel like you're good enough. It's now, right where you are, in the mess that you're in, soiled, clothes and all, smelling like hell, okay? It's now. 
I mean, we may smell like the smoke of hell, but, but you know what? It's now. The, that, that good news is for all of us. It's for everybody. It's not for everybody except me. That's a lie. Okay, that's a lie of the enemy. It's for all of us. The good news is now, and it's been personalized. Listen to what the angel says in verse 11. For today, not tomorrow, not a week from now, not yesterday. You didn't miss it. Today, today in the city of David, there has been born, I love this, he personalized it, for you. Okay, if I'm one of those shepherds, all I've heard right now is today for you. Okay, today for you, there has been born in the, in the city of David for you a savior, a deliverer, one who's going to deal with your sins. You can't take lambs to the temple. You, you can't be forgiven. That's what your system has told you, your religious system has told you. What I'm telling you is Jesus, the savior, the, the Messiah, the Lord of Lords has come for you. Okay, for you. The least, the most insignificant. He's come for you. And listen, I want to say this. If you were the only person on this planet, I've said this over and over and over, but it's true. If you were the only person on this planet, Jesus would have come and he would have sought you out and he would have died for you. That's how much he loves you. These guys, I'm going to say it one more time and leave it there, but these guys were shut off from the religious life of Judaism. There was no sense of forgiveness for their sins. There was no teaching to encourage them, nothing to hope in. There was nothing. And God shows up on their personal doorstep in their pasture with a declaration that that, that must have blown their minds. God loves you much as he he loves these nameless shepherds he loves you jesus is for you he's not against you and and the and the the beautiful thing about this is we read this next verse and we don't think about it rationally okay look at verse 12 and this will be a sign for you you will find the baby wrapped in cloths Lying in a manger. Okay. These are the directions that the angel gives this group of shepherds. Bethlehem is not a large place. But there were more than 25 or 30 houses. And those houses all had sheds and holes carved out. In the, in the limestone so that they could put their donkey up at night or their, their milk cow or, or whatever they had, their, their goats. They, they all had that. What we don't think about is these shepherds didn't go searching through the back. They didn't climb over the fences with their flashlights looking for, for a baby with swaddling clothes in a manger. That's what we think. But that's not what really happened. This angel gave them directions To the exact place they were supposed to go. They weren't at the Holiday Inn in the garage, okay? They weren't at the Howard Johnson's back in the shed behind the place. They weren't at the innkeeper's house. They were in a very specific place. He gives them a sign. 
And a sign is a direction. It's something that will point you to the place. In other words, what what the angel is saying, here's the key for you finding this. Listen to me. It says, you will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, when we read that, we think about, you know, a little wooden thing, a little feeding trough, or maybe one cut out of stone. But there were probably hundreds of those around Bethlehem. So there has to be something else here. What we don't understand is that the shepherds there, I told you how special the lambs were, but the shepherds had a very special place that they took all the, the sheep that were about to give birth. Okay? They didn't just let them give birth out in the pastures. They took them to a very specific place to give birth. It, it, it was a place that uh, where when that, sh- when that lamb was birthed, and I'm not going to get into all that, but if you've ever seen a, a, a calf or a, or a horse or a, or a, a lamb or a, a pig or anything like that, it, it, it's, it's, a, you know, it's pretty awe-inspiring. But lots of things can happen. And so they took their, 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 their sheep to a very specific place so that they could give birth. And when that, when that mother uh, sheep gave birth to that lamb, they scooped that lamb up. And they wrapped that lamb up with those swaddling clothes. And they placed that lamb in a very special place. Okay? And the reason was is so that, as a, I mean, listen, none of us remember, but it's pretty traumatic to be born. Amen? None of y'all know this. Everett knows this. He's probably, the, he's probably still probably fresh on his little mind. He just can't tell us about it. Okay? But it's a traumatic trip. And sometimes there are complications. And so when, 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 you know, when, when little boys or little girls get here, they scream and cry, don't they? Okay, well, lambs don't scream and cry, but they, they do this. They just kind of, they're just rolling all over the, the floor. Well, you know, they're trying to get up on those little, well, you ever seen a little horse or something? They, they do the same things. They're trying to get up on those four little legs, trying to make them all work together. Well, in that process... If you're out in the bush, out in the woods, out in the rocks, guess what happens? You're going to get nicked. I mean, it's, it's very possible. You're going to get nicked or you're going to get cut or you're going to something like that. All of a sudden, you're, you're, un, you're blemished. So what the shepherds would do, they would take them to a specific place. It was called the, the watchtower or the tower of the flock. The Hebrew word is they would take them to the Migdal Eder. Okay. Magdalene there. That was where all the shepherds in Bethlehem that raised those special sheep would take their mother uh, sheep to birth those lambs. Because they had shepherds there that were ready and prepared to do what had to be done. And so what would happen is when that lamb was born, they would immediately grab him up, gather it up. They'd wrap it in strips of cloth. It's called swaddling cloths. And they would uh, place that little lamb in that hewn-out depression called the manger. And the manger was, you know, they also fed the sheep there. But it was, it was limestone. If you've ever been to Israel, you, you understand this. The, the limestone is soft. And it's easy to carve places out. Now, whether this is the, the manger at the church of the nativity, I don't know. Okay? I just don't know. I've been there. All right? It's a special place if you've ever been there. 
but I don't know if that's the place. But it was a, it was a, it was a limestone trough like that. Okay, and they would place that little lamb in there until it, it, it stopped struggling. It stopped thrashing around and injuring itself. Now, you say, well, Nelson, how, how is Migdal Eder a prophetic place? Well, listen, in, in the book of Micah, Micah tells us exactly what city the king's going to be born in, right? Y'all all know this verse, don't you? It says he's going to be born in Bethlehem of Ephrathah. There's going to king come from here. But he also, Micah also tells us the exact location where the king is going to be born. He says this, and this won't be on the screen, so you have to write this down. In Micah chapter 4, verse 8, and it says to you, O tower of the flock, O Migdal Eder, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion. This, is, this was the, the stronghold. This was the place where they, they took the lambs, Okay. Unto you shall it come, even the first dominion. The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, you say, well, that, that's, not a, you know, that's, that's not like blinking lights with arrows pointing to it. No, but, but you know what? Even the priests taught that at the, the tower of the flock, the Migdali there at the, at, the, at, the, at, the, at the stronghold, that's where the king would be announced. But you know what? God didn't just announce him there. God had him born there. Just like those lambs that prefigured him, that, that shadowed his coming. He had the Lamb of God born, I believe, in that place. And they swaddled him up. Okay? And it wasn't just to keep him warm. Okay? The prophetic part of it was so that he would not be blemished. Now we know that, that that's speaking of, of, a, of a spiritual nature, but, but the physical is also important as well. Okay, it, it, it gives us that message. But not only that, there's, there's something here that there's even more here. When those lambs were, getting, were being prepared to go from that place to Jerusalem for sacrifice, you know what they did? They bound them up again in the very same kind of binding. Because you could not offer a sacrifice that was not bound. Alright? That was a part of the law. And so we have the king of glory being born in this place. And he's, he's bound up. Fulfilling that part of the law that says that he cannot be he must be unblemished he can have no defect but he's also bound up prefiguring what would take place in 30 or so years it's the picture of of that lamb him becoming the lamb of god listen to me god is so very specific there are no wasted words in this bible Okay, if we just will look, he gives us a road map. If we'll just spend the time to figure it out, he will tell us what's going to happen. He goes into great deal to prophetically communicate that this child will be the Lamb of God. Those, you know, those, those shepherds, they weren't climbing over in the backyards of people's houses shining a flashlight. They went straight to the place. This is a sign for you. Okay, we need to pay attention. There's going to be, you'll find a, a child in swaddling clothes 
and lying in the manger. You won't find a lamb, you'll find a child. So they knew exactly where to go. So they, they head to, to that place. Not only was that place all of that, but it was also a place that was considered clean. Ritually clean. Okay? Because those, those sheep had to be ritually clean. And so God establishes a place that his son can be born in a very safe place and in a place that's clean and a place that's warm where there were people. The story doesn't tell us this, that knew what to do. Okay? That's how much God cares about you. Okay? He doesn't just care about Jesus that much. He cares about us that much. So those shepherds knew where to go. They knew where to look. They knew uh, the signs. And so what happens is, is, is very often God will sometimes use prophetic signs to speak to us, to try to communicate to us. But I want, I want you to hear me. He won't give you a sign when he's speaking to you that you don't understand. Okay? You might have to spend a little time figuring it out, but most of the time when he speaks to us, he speaks in, in ways we will understand. I, 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 over my ministry, God has given me a word for some people, and I, it didn't make sense to me. I just wrote it down, or I just gave it to them, and it looked like you slapped them in the face, because they understood exactly what it meant. That's how God speaks. When he's trying to communicate with you or trying to communicate with me, he will speak in a way that we can understand. Why would he not? Why would he have told these shepherds, I want you to go see this baby. This baby's for you. And then let them spend the rest of the night and the next week or two looking through barns and shacks and sheds. He wouldn't have. He would have sent them directly there. Listen, God will give you something you can understand when he speaks to you. He will help you find the answer that you need to solve the problem or change the situation or the circumstance to encourage your faith. Or, or he may give you a word to rebuke some sin that's in our life. God doesn't speak in riddles very often. Okay? Very often. And he sure doesn't speak in riddles that only super spiritual people can interpret. In other words, he's not basically going to tell you something that you have to go see somebody to get it figured out. All right? Now, occasionally, there will be some of those. But listen, if you're dealing with an issue and, God, I need an answer, I need an answer, I'm praying for God's not going to give you the answer and you have to hunt somebody that can interpret it for you. He's going to speak in very plain language. He speaks the language of the person that he's speaking to. Very simple, very straightforward, and most of the time with a minimum of words. With a minimum of words. And then if if we needed an exclamation point to be driven in, the skies explode at that point. And there's not just one angel there. There's myriads of them that's a good biblical word there's there's tons of them there they're everywhere it's like the fourth of july fireworks night and what those angels are saying is you find it in luke chapter 2 verse 14 glory to god in the highest and on earth peace among men with his with whom he is pleased let me let me paraphrase what they're saying there peace the peace of god has come God's peace is here. Limitless grace is poured out. I like this biblical word, lavished. It's just poured out, and it's poured out, and it's poured out. It's poured out without measure on humanity. 
I want you to let that settle in for a moment. The peace of God has been poured out. As much as you need, there's more. There's more. And I believe God's speaking that same exact word to you this morning. Every time we read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit empowers those words. Do you believe that? Every time we read scripture, God empowers those words. And he speaks to someone. Or he speaks to a bunch of someone's. How do I know that? Because there's a promise in scripture that God says that's what he does. And listen, if God gives a promise, he keeps it. Every one of them. If he ceases to keep his promise, he ceases to be God. So when God makes a promise, he just doesn't idly make it. Listen to what he says in Isaiah chapter 55. And I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the, the passage is. I think it's verse 10 through 12. But I know it's in Isaiah 55. It says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and they do not return without watering the earth, and making it sprout, and make, or making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. Listen to what God says. So shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, or the other word that many of the translations will have is void, without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. it. In other words, it will do what I sent it to do, and it will bring success in what I brought it, and what I sent it to bring success in. Are you listening this morning? Do you, do you grasp the gravity of what God's saying there? He knows you. He, he knows the situation you're in. He knows the circumstances you find yourself in. And He still loves you. He sent Jesus to deliver you. To be your Savior. To be my Savior. God's not mad. Y'all know that? God is not angry. He's not sitting on the, thor- the, the throne of heaven seething. And just doing this and counting the moments when he can destroy all the sinners in the world. Now, I grew up on that kind of preaching, all right? And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not throwing stones at that or anything. That's just not the picture of God that the New Testament paints. That's the Old Testament God after Israel had gone on and on and on. And it's not even the Old Testament picture of God. In, in, in those worst moments when, when Israel was at my worst, God said in Isaiah, Behold, I have wooed you. I have called you to myself with loving kindness. Folks, God loves people. All right? And God's desire is not to destroy people. There will come a time, there will come a moment when there are no more second chances. When the the patience of God ends. But we don't live there yet. Okay? God is not upset. He's not angry. He poured, the scripture says, He poured His wrath, His anger, all of it, out on the Lamb of God. Scripture teaches that Jesus bore that wrath. That's why the cross is so bad. That's why he died such a violent death. That's why he was in agony. That's why he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
because the wrath of God's being poured out on him. And he bears that. Folks, he bears it for us. So listen to me. I, I don't care what you've done. I don't care how much you've hurt somebody or how you've hurt yourself. God's not mad at you. God loves you. And God has a way of bringing you from where you're at to where you, need, where you need to be. He loves you. And you know what? I don't care what anybody else says. You are somebody. Jesus exchanged his life for yours. He traded places with you. And nobody, no word, no act, no deed, no mistake, no blunder, no sin can change that. I want you to hear the prophetic word of God right now for the situation. Because God is screaming. If he screamed, I don't believe he screams. But it sounds like a scream sometimes. He's speaking to people in here today. Okay? I mean, mean, he's just, I love you. I love you. He's, He's just saying it over and over and over. You're hearing it this morning. But here's the million dollar question that begs for an answer. What are you going to do about it? Okay? What are you going to do about it? How are you going to respond? We all like patterns, don't we? We like plans. Amen? We like one, two, threes, right? So preacher, give us a three-step way to do this. All right? I don't usually do that, but there is one in this passage. All right? Let's just look at what the shepherds did. All right? It's that simple. If we just do what the shepherds do, we will receive what the shepherds received. All right? It's, it's just that simple. Look at, look at what Scripture says here. Uh, this will be on the screen. Number one, they wasted no time in obeying. They acted in faith according to the prophetic message they were given. Look at, at, at Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verse 15 and 16. This is what the shepherds said. Let us go, underline this word in your Bible, straight to Bethlehem. They didn't say, hey, we need to stop off at the U-totem and get us some Cokes and some cakes because this might be a long hunt. They didn't say that. They said, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And look at this. And they came in, underline this, in haste. You know what haste is? It's in a hurry. It's running. And they came in haste, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. They got after it. Okay? They didn't waste any time. They got after it. They didn't wait till the sun came up. They took off then. And they wasted no time in discerning what the sign meant and where they needed to go, and they made a beeline to that place. But you know what happens too often to us? God will speak to us like he's speaking this morning. He will speak to us. He will speak to somebody and they will waste their opportunity by procrastinating. Y'all know what procrastinating is, don't you? It's saying, you know what? I, I'm, I got a lot of problems, but my problem not nearly as bad as everybody else's. Mine's not as bad as theirs. Here's what I've learned. My problems are just as bad as anybody else's because they're my problems. It's like going to see the doctor and having surgery and him saying, this is minor surgery. Okay, It may be minor surgery to him, but when he starts cutting on my body, it's major surgery. So if you have a problem this morning that is a problem enough to cause you to be upset, 
to cause you to be fearful, it's a major problem because it's affecting you. So don't procrastinate and say, well, you know what? There are a whole lot of other people worse problems than me. That's why God's speaking to you this morning because he wants to deal with your problem. Here's a little secret we sometimes forget. He can deal with your problem, my problem, your problem, your problem, your problem, your problem, all at the same time. He's big enough. Okay? He doesn't have to do them one at a time. He's big enough. So don't procrastinate. Don't procrastinate. Don't, don't miss your opportunity. Listen to me. I say this with fear and tremor. Some opportunities, once they are missed, are gone forever. He is a second chance God. Listen to me. He really is. But there are moments that when we miss them, that train doesn't return. Okay, I don't have any guarantee that it will come back in later. And so if he's speaking to you, grab for what he's giving you right now. Okay? Don't waste any time. Go after it. Number two. They witnessed the prophetic word with, with their eyes. And once they had witnessed, once they had seen what, they were taught, what God told them, they then gave witness of what they had heard about this child to everybody that they, had, they came in contact with. They witnessed what they had seen. Listen to verse 17. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. What they had received, folks, they have, they've then verbally gave to everyone else. That's how God designed the gospel to go out. That's how God designed the gospel to, to spread. When we partake of the glory of God, it becomes our responsibility then to share it. We know this story because the shepherds told other people. Matthew heard this story. Mark heard this story. Luke heard it because he wrote it down. The Holy Spirit said, hey, you need to put that part of the story in here. John knew the story. Your grandmother, your granddaddy knew the story. Your mom and daddy knew the story. You know the story. Your children, if you've been faithful, know the story. Why? Because these shepherds were faithful with what they received and what they saw and they shared it. And guys, who are you going to meet today that hadn't heard it yet? Okay? And are you going to be faithful with it? They shared what they saw and what they heard. And then the third thing they did is they worshipped God. Luke 2 verse 20 says, And the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they'd heard and seen, just as it had been told them. These guys got happy. Okay? They didn't fold their hands, sit on the hillside, and go, Kumbaya, Lord, Kumbaya. Man, they're doing the swiggy-jiggy right down the street. They're dancing, they're shouting. I mean, they've seen the Messiah. And he's come for them. They're, they're dancing through the street. They're, 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 I mean, their souls and their spirits are overflowing. They couldn't hold it. They broke out in if they wanted to. And they didn't wait till they got by themselves on the hillside. Man, they broke out singing and shouting and, and dancing through the streets of Bethlehem. And I, you know, I can hear what people in Bethlehem were thinking that night as they peeked through their shades. There goes that bunch of drunk shepherds again. 
No, they're drunk, all right, but they're not drunk on alcohol. They're drunk on the Holy Spirit. They're drunk on the blessings of God. They're drunk on the gift that God had given them. The gift that God had poured out in that night sky in those prophetic words. And they were overflowing with what verse 10 calls good news of great joy. So what are you going to do this morning with the prophetic word that God's given you? What are you going to do with it? You know what? There's grace for whatever you need this morning. And it, it's freely flowing in this place. I don't hinder it. I'm not the, the gatekeeper. It's the Holy Spirit. And it's flowing. You may not can see it, but I'm telling you, it's knee deep and it's getting deeper. Okay? There, there's all kind of grace flowing in this place. There's power for whatever blockage, whatever barrier, whatever bondage that you are forced to deal with right now. Whatever you're facing right now presently, there, there, there is, a, there is, a, there is a, a, a power for the destruction of those strongholds that are there. It's here. Listen, the presence of Jesus is here. For whatever kind of healing you need. You, you may be here and, and you, you don't need physical healing. You need healing of the mind. You need emotional healing for some event that took place in your life. You, you may need spiritual healing. I mean, every one of us that ever, have ever been to church more than once or twice have got hurt at church. Amen? It ain't the manger, all right? I'm just being honest with you. That's not where they wrap you up in swaddling clothes and put you. It should be, but it's not, okay? So we've, we've all been hurt. Listen, Jesus will heal whatever you will allow him to, whatever you will bring to him and allow him to take, okay? That's what Scripture teaches. All you have to do is believe the prophetic word that he's speaking, that you've heard right now. That's faith. And then step out in it. That's obedience. And when you put faith and obedience together, the presence of God shows up, and the power of God moves. Okay? These shepherds saw that. You want to know why God spoke to faithful? Because he knew they'd be faithful. They were faithful when there was nothing in it for them but a few coins. They were faithful in what they did because they understood what they did was vital for everybody else. They understood that. They understood that nobody else may think what I do is important, but nobody else can do this, so I'm doing it. And I'm going to make sure it gets done right. They were faithful. And guys, if we'll be faithful and we'll step out and we'll obey God, this morning, he'll move. I'm just telling you that. He'll move. Let's pray. Father, this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.